please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 7, you can use the blue pew Bible there. Mark chapter 7, we're going to be reading verses 24 through 37. And just as you're turning there, I just want to thank the worship team for leading us and also for all the volunteers for all of the pancake breakfast. So wonderful this morning just to have that time of fellowship and outreach. And, but now we get to be fed by the Word of God. Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 24, and this is the very Word of God. From there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were open, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. May God at his blessing to the reading of his word, would you now pray with me? Almighty God, we thank you that you are not mute, but that you speak even by your word. You have not left yourself without witness. You have shown you are sovereign over us, even in your care for us, in providing your revealed word. I pray that your word would come to every soul here, those who might even be strangers to your grace, and that your word would come and give them the hope of the gospel, that sins can be forgiven, that your standard can be met, not by our own efforts of self-atonement and self-righteousness, but only through the perfect, finished, complete work of Jesus Christ, the one who is alive even now, guaranteeing, that salvation. Father, we ask that in this lost city, whose lostness has been on display even over the past 10 days, 
this lost city, that there would be a great awakening, that there would be a turning from sin and a seeking of your face to seek the Lord while he may be found. We pray, Lord, that many, whether at the pancake breakfast or through their regular lives, that they would come into contact with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we pray that this church would be a church with the gospel on its lips, that we would live according to the truth of your word. We ask, Lord, have mercy on this city. Have mercy on this city and grant us repentance. Refrain from judgment, we pray. We pray for mercy upon our mayor, Jody Gondek. We pray for mercy upon our premier, Daniel Smith. We pray for mercy upon our prime minister, Justin Trudeau. Lord, we see the great judgment that rests upon this land, and we ask for your mercy, for repentance for our leaders, and also, Lord, that your gospel would go forward freely, that people would be saved from the wrath to come. Lord, we thank you that you are a good God, a compassionate God, a welcoming God, a gracious God. I pray for those who are suffering, who are struggling, who are suffering with physical ailments, who are struggling with family relationships, those who are struggling even with seeing injustice in the world and injustices done against them. Lord, I pray, I pray that they would know your comfort, that they would know your compassion, that they would know that you are still sovereign, that you are in charge, that nothing is escaping your notice, and that they would be able to appeal to you with all of their pain, all of their sorrow, all their frustration. Lord, we ask that you would come and minister to our hearts, that your word would be precious to us this morning, and that we would honor you, the one who has revealed himself by the word, that we would honor you as we ought, that we would see you as real and true and worship you accordingly. So as we hear your word now, we pray that we would receive it not as the words of men, but as it really is, the very word of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I've got to ask the pressing question this morning. Did anybody butt in line to get a pancake? Did you break through the boundaries of the pancake line protocol in order to get a pancake before they all ran out? Maybe I was the only one that butted in line. <laughs> but a projection there. See, it's interesting, I, as I was just thinking about the pancake breakfast, everywhere we go, we see a bit of a tension regarding boundaries and inclusion, whether it's even the boundary of the protocol of lining up on the sidewalk and waiting your turn. There's a, there's a tension in our world between those calling for inclusion and those calling for boundaries. Those calling for inclusion think that we should not say no to anyone about anything. You want to set up a tent on someone's private property, 
Oh, you ought to be included there. You want to enter the opposite sex's washroom? Well, you need to be included there as well. That's what society is saying. On the other hand are those calling for boundaries. We need to exclude certain people from being hired at a company because of the boundaries of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Or we need to establish boundaries around our speech to keep out any words that might hurt somebody's feelings. But Jesus addressed the tensions between boundaries and inclusion even in his ministry. He affirmed some of the strict boundaries that existed in his day, but he also established new boundaries and new terms of inclusion which were utterly radical and countercultural. And so, as is the case in the Gospels, Jesus brought his revolutionary new boundaries and inclusions, he brought them to real people and real situations. And, and I just have to say, it's just fascinating to me, dealing with real people, that I would be preaching on this passage, and I had a conversation with someone in the courtyard this morning about issues that are directly related to this particular passage. I couldn't believe it. It's just like, wow, we're t- having a conversation, we're talking about the subject matter of this text in Mark 7. Real people. And that's what Jesus dealt in. Real people. People like you. People like me. So we're going to look at these two episodes. Two episodes of two people and see where are the boundaries. Where are the boundaries? Where are the inclusions of these these real people? Who's included? Who's excluded? And we're going to see how Jesus created these, these new boundaries of inclusion and exclusion. And so, what's this passage about? It's really about who's in and who's out. And you maybe are a visitor here this morning, and you've felt this in relation to churches, questioning, are you permitted to be in, or why is it that you are out? But even more importantly than that, even thinking about Maybe just you visiting the church. There is in this text something that's, I'll be honest, I think, I think it's, it's deeply profound, deeply significant for each soul here. It is more important than whether or not you're included in a social group or whether you're included in a certain class or, or a tribe. It's more important than maybe your personal trauma that you've experienced of being excluded from a group, from a, from, a, from a crowd, from a group of friends, maybe even excluded from, from getting a higher tier of salary at your company. Whatever that trauma might be, it's more profound than that. It's really the most profound question that any man, woman, or child can ask. And it's the profound question, are you within the boundaries of God's inclusion? Are you within the boundaries of God's inclusion? And how do you know? And if you're not in the boundaries, why not? Who's in? Who's out? 
And how can you be able then to draw near to God when drawing near to God is salvation now and forever? So that's actually why we're not playing church. We're kind of playing at being cowboys with stampede breakfast. You know, we all dress up. Of course, I dress like cowboy every day. So I'm, it, I should have dressed down. I should have wore like shorts and uh, flip-flops or something. We, d- we can play at Stampede, but we don't play at church. Because this is about eternal realities of what it means to be with God or to be separate from God. And so I hope each one of you is thinking about where you stand before God this morning. Because that's the most important question you could ever ask. And we're going to see that. Now, in this first picture, the first story, the first episode, we have this encounter that involves a woman from a non-Jewish region of Palestine, from Tyre and Sidon. So we have to kind of use our imagination and think about geography and history. So this is the region in modern Lebanon. I didn't get a chance. I was going to ask my neighbors who are from Lebanon just where they're from a village in Lebanon. And they actually, their, their kin all marry people from that village. Even if they might be living in Calgary or Edmonton, they all have links back to that village in Lebanon. But I, I didn't get a chance to ask them about, about this region. But, but it's near the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And Jesus had been teaching about how being impure comes from the heart. That's what he was saying earlier in chapter 7. That impurity isn't, isn't by what you do or whether you don't wash your hands or not. But being impure before God is an issue of the heart. It comes from the heart. So that's what we learned Last time I preached from Mark 7, which is a long time ago. So Jesus had been teaching on that in verses 14 to 23. And then he goes to this region, this area, this country that Jews thought were impure. So it's pretty serious. This region is viewed as being impure. I mean, it's not on the level, I was joking with Kurt about my view of Edmonton and the impurity of the Oilers and that kind of thing. It's kind of not, it's, it's more serious even than that. Um, you know, and so, but there's this, there's this worry that if you go to that area, you would become unclean before God. Tyre and Sidon were spiritually impure places for a Jew. Now, maybe that's why we read that Jesus entered a house and didn't want anybody to know. It could be that it's so controversial for a Jew like Jesus to go hanging around that region of Tyre and Sidon and actually go into somebody's house. It may be that he just wanted to keep all that on the down low. But you got to think, Tyre and Sidon, they had a long history of being associated with false religions. False religions. As Jesus found out, of course, his attempt at keeping 
this secret, what the scholars call the messianic secret in Mark, it basically failed. He could not be hidden, we're told. He couldn't be hidden. So you got to think, would Jesus get the reception in Tyre and Sidon like he got in other regions where they asked him to get out, to leave? Would he get, would he, would he get that reception? Would people be begging Jesus to go because they didn't want him to have, you know, cast out demons and the demons go into herds of pigs and commit kind of this suicide by demonic inspiration? Did they, were they asking him to leave? No, it didn't happen that way. In this Lebanese area, this Phoenician area, this Syrian area, there was a woman who immediately showed up, verse 25. Now, when, if you're a Bible reader, if you've been reading, you're reading along in the Old Testament, you're on a Bible reading plan, and you hear about a Syrophoenician woman, you might automatically start to make a connection to someone who was a Syrophoenician who was more famous, or I should say infamous, the most infamous Syrophoenician woman of all time. Her name was Queen Jezebel. And even if you aren't familiar with the Bible, you have an idea of Jezebel. Jezebel is, if, you, if somebody calls a woman a Jezebel, it's not a compliment, right? So you know that much. But Queen Jezebel was from the same region. 1 Kings 16 tells us that she was the daughter of the king of Sidon. And his name was Eth Baal. And her name is Jezebel. And they, they were worshipers of this god, Baal, or Baal, if you prefer. And Jezebel, she carried her wicked religion with her into marriage with the Israelite king Ahab. And they did all kinds of horrific things bad stuff. They introduced the wicked religion of Baal into Israel. Now, this religion of the worship of Baal, the male god, who's actually the word Baal means Lord. This Baal god had had a female counterpart, the Ashtoreth, and this religion was marked by sexual deviancy and the sacrifice of children. I, I won't go into it. It's too, too dark to speak of. But there's a reason why God told the Israelites to stay away from the practices of the Baal religion of these people. He says in Leviticus 18, there's a list of immoral stuff in Leviticus 18. It's so bad that it makes the current parades and the porn of our day seem minor by comparison. I mean, I, I won't read it at this point because it takes too much explanation to, to keep it at a PG rating. There is a clear reason why God told Joshua and the Israelites to impose the death penalty on the Canaanites. It was because they would continue for generations 
developing the wicked, dark, and evil practices, and they would go on unchecked if they weren't stopped. So the fact that Jesus was in town, that could be controversial, and all the more since this woman shows up, who very likely was a relative of Jezebel, and she'd showed up to where Jesus was staying. So you start seeing the picture a little bit. When, when Mark tells us this is a Syrophoenician woman, she's a Gentile. It's not just a throwaway comment. She is coming from the bad side of the boundaries. Because I'm hoping you're starting to see where the boundaries are laid here. This woman was part of the evil people, let's say. Let's just call them that. They're the evil people. Jesus is part of the chosen people. If Jesus is the new Joshua, well, how should he treat this woman? Is he going to exclude her? Maybe even punish her? Jesus had every right to do what Joshua and the Israelites failed to do. Boundaries and inclusion then now are top of mind for us. You need to be clear, though, this is what the intention is, you need to be clear, this woman was part of the evil people. And Mark then tells us what happened immediately next. Verse 25. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Did you know that even evil people have kids? They do. Maybe you're thinking, yeah, even people have evil kids, you know, but. But this is a real person. This woman had a little daughter, but she belongs to the evil people. And notice what was the problem with the daughter? The girl had an unclean spirit. An unclean spirit. Go over to Foothills Hospital and ask if anybody comes into Foothills Hospital with an unclean spirit. They'll just laugh at you. It's not in their categories. But they are according to Jesus. This girl had an unclean spirit. And of course, this isn't surprising in Tyre and Sidon in that region. The amount of demon worship that had gone on there for centuries would mean that demons were more than happy to dwell there. But the surprising thing, though, is that this woman comes and she falls down at Jesus' feet. She falls down at his feet. It's an amazing thing. Literally, this descendant or possible relative of Queen Jezebel, at least symbolically connected to her, this, this woman was literally fulfilling Isaiah 49, 23, when God spoke to Israel and said, Kings shall be your foster fathers and their queens your nursing mothers. With their faces to the ground, they shall bow down to you and lick the dust of your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who wait for me shall not be put to shame. See, this is the thing. This was Israel expected Gentiles to come and fall down before them. And when that happened, they would know 
that the Lord is God. And of course, to that point, Israel had basically been in varying degrees of captivity, being overrun by foreign oppressors. Even after the return from exile from Babylon, they ended up being taken over by the Greeks. Later, even as they had the Jewish revolt, they were taken over by the Romans. And so they didn't have this freedom that they were expecting. But this woman, representing the Gentiles, is bowing down at Jesus' feet. Still, there's a clear boundary that existed here. There were Gentiles who would submit to the Jews who wait on the Lord. There's a distinction there. There's a boundary between the two. And Mark makes sure that we know this woman is a Gentile. He says, now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. So think of the posture of this woman. She's coming as a slave, comes to a master. She's coming like a conquered person toward a conqueror. And Jesus, as the new Joshua, has a freedom to punish her for her wickedness. She didn't deserve to have her daughter delivered from demons. So Jesus said, interesting, he says, verse 27, he said to her, let the children be fed first. It is, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Maybe your conception of Jesus means that you can't accept that this is in the Bible, but he says this. You've got to understand what he's doing. Jesus was clarifying the great boundary that exists between God's chosen people and outsiders. In this case, in the Old Covenant way, between the Jews and the Gentiles. He makes it pretty, pretty clear. There's the children, and then there's the dogs. Not very politically correct, I don't think, that Jesus is calling them dogs. Jesus would use the term dogs when he said in Matthew 7, 6, Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before swine. You know the verse. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. By contrast, since the days of the Exodus, Jews had been viewed as God's children. God said to Moses in Exodus 4.22, Tell Pharaoh that this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, could summarize the privileges of the children of God, the Jewish nation, in Romans 9.4. He said, they are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. They got lots of privileges. All kinds of special privileges. But the bread given to the children first is even more than all of that stuff. It's Jesus, the Mashiach, the Anointed One, the Christ. He is the Jewish Messiah. He's the one who said in John 6.35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Echoing Isaiah 55 that we had in the liturgy. Notice he said, whoever. 
not just for Jews, but now also for Gentiles. But Jesus was clear he needed to bring this ministry to the Jew first. Constantly through Scripture in the New Testament, it's t- the message is to the Jew first, then to the Greek. This was always the pattern for Jesus and the, the apostles. So let the children be fed first, and then presumably then to the Greek. So clearly he believed that the promises to Israel were a priority and that the Gentiles were not entitled to the privileges of God's chosen people. Those privileges couldn't be thrown to the dogs. Now, at this point, at this point, we have to let God challenge our ideas. Because you might be like kind of uncomfortable a little bit at this point because we start thinking in terms of fairness right aren't you thinking that okay maybe you're not maybe i think in these terms i'm guessing you're think you're thinking that something doesn't seem fair and you're questioning is clint getting this wrong because he's kind of kind of saying that jesus isn't fair uh or is the bible wrong because the bible sounds like it's it's not very fair and you're you're starting to get your back up and you're chafing, and it's not just that you're sweaty because it's warm in here. It's warm in here, I know. It's warm in here every Sunday. I don't know why it's just so warm. We're used to having it be cold here. We can think that everyone everywhere should have interchangeable privileges, right? That's how, right? That's what you're told every day. You've got a privilege. Oh, you can't have that privilege. I've got to have that privilege. They've got to be interchangeable. We're told that. At least that's what we say. Nobody lives that way. Nobody lives that way. But we're told that. And we balk at the idea that the Jews had privileges which the Gentiles didn't have. But this, friends, we have to be clear about. This is the sovereign freedom of God. He's sovereignly free to choose a people in a select geography, with a select ethnicity, at a select period of time, and he could put his special blessing on them. He had the freedom to do that. I mean, compared to the privilege of Israel, how sad it would be to be a Canaanite woman, as she's called in Matthew 15 in the parallel account. And, and maybe, maybe you're coming here, and I see some people are walking out already, uh, maybe you're here and you're, you feel like an outsider to, to the privileges of the Bible and the spirituality that's revealed in the Bible. You feel, you feel on the outside. Like you, maybe you're at this church, you've never darkened the door of a church. You don't know what church is. You certainly don't know what this church is. It's all odd and strange. You feel like an outsider. Then what are you to do? You're on the outside of the borders. What, what do you do? The great thing is, you listen to this woman. Listen to her. She answered in verse 28, Yes, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She didn't presume to be included. She knew she wasn't entitled to be in God's boundary of blessing. She knew that. All that she was asking for was mercy. That's all she was asking for. She was asking for undeserved grace 
She was asking for the residual blessing from the privilege of the chosen people that she doesn't belong to. Just just give me the residual. But notice what she's doing. She's not going to Jerusalem. She's not going to the temple. She's not going to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. She is going to Jesus of Nazareth. She's just bypassing all that stuff, and she is going to Jesus. And all she wants, this is all she wants, she just wants Jesus' crumbs. She just wants Jesus' crumbs. That's all she wants. The crumbs from Jesus are more than enough. More than enough. She expresses this deep humility and gratitude for the possibility of crumbs. I mean, you guys think how different this woman's approach is to the attitude of so many people, even of you, even of me at times, the way we can be. We get disappointed when God doesn't give all the blessings that we feel entitled to. And we chafe. And we get angry, and we get bitter, and we get sour because we're not getting all the blessings on time the way that we want them. When in truth, Jesus' crumbs are enough. They are more than enough. It's just a completely different posture than most of us. And what did Jesus do? Verse 29, he said to her, For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Matthew 18, or sorry, Matthew adds in verse chapter 15, verse 28, this assessment by Jesus. Jesus said, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done to you as you desire. So you got this daughter of Jezebel, as I'm calling her, turning away from idols, trusting in Jesus, even if it meant that she only got crumbs. Crumbs were enough. And what crumbs? Her precious daughter was delivered from the possession of a demon. It's so miraculous, so supernatural, so powerful, that it's hard for me to believe that it's something real. But it is. And the point is that Jesus chose to extend the borders of His blessings to include an undeserving Canaanite. To include her rather than exterminating her. Rather than casting her away like a dog. And notice then, the personal appeal this undeserving woman made to Jesus. She waited and she trusted in him, being satisfied with anything he might give her. I'll be happy with anything. Crumbs will do. Crumbs, that's okay. I'll take anything if it's from you, Jesus. Is that how you are today? Honestly. Are you satisfied with anything Jesus might give to you? Or are you only going to follow Jesus if he meets your standards 
for your inclusion. Maybe you're still refusing to open up your stubborn boundaries and you refuse to accept Jesus on his terms, not yours. And I can look out and the people I know, I can index people and know there are people who have walls put up and they refuse to take Jesus on, their, on Jesus' terms. They just say, well, you haven't done enough for me, Jesus, so I'm not letting you be included in my little world. How different this woman was. <laughs> I'll take anything, Jesus. I know I don't deserve it, but I'll take anything. I'm just here for anything if it comes from you. Crumbs will do. And so who's in? Who's out? Is Jesus in your little world? Maybe you need a readjustment. You need to get into Jesus' world and be close to him. That's the first episode. So instructive for it. The second one is similar. I'm going to address it more quickly because it's getting on. Jesus was still in kind of these Greek and Gentile regions, though he moved from the Sidonian part over in Lebanon, and he crossed over into what would be the modern state of Jordan. So it's a, it's a region that the Romans called the Ten Cities. And these are ten city-states that had autonomy under Roman rule. So they were, they were kind of super-Romans. And it's called the Decapolis so a very Greco-Roman area that was less influenced by the Jewish establishment in Jerusalem. Now, in this case, the guy was brought to Jesus. You know, just like that paralytic that was lowered down through the roof. But in this case, it's a man who is deaf and had a speech impediment. He's deaf and dumb is how the older way of describing it. Deaf and mute, unable to hear, unable to speak. So this man lived in this silent world, trapped in his own thoughts. But his friends, you know, they, they begged Jesus to lay hands on him. And we can assume that these were Gentiles in the Decapolis. It's not evident that they were Jews. So you have Gentiles bringing another Gentile to be healed. Verse 33, taking him aside from the crowd privately. Again, this messianic secret again. Jesus put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. Okay, I don't care. Putting your fingers into somebody else's ears is a little weird. It's weird. But then spitting on your hand and then touching someone else's tongue, like that's, that's really, really weird. So, so between the earwax and the spit, it all seems very unclean, even for my standards, because I tend to have kind of more on the unclean standards generally, in terms of hygiene, just to be honest. It's farm boy still. Um, so, so no disposable tongue depressors, you know, none of those disposable little black cones, you know, they stick in your ear and they pull it out and it's got all this stuff on it and they throw it in the garbage, right? The doctor when he's looking in your ear. I know maybe mine is covered with stuff. Yours doesn't have anything. You've got no earwax coming out. It's, it's unclean. It's gross. But it's also ceremonially unclean. 
But you remember what Jesus could do to lepers in Mark chapter 1, verse 41? He could say, be clean, and he could make the unclean clean. And not only that, but as we see here, Jesus could touch the uncleanness of another person, even a dirty Gentile, and cleanse them. And Jesus could take his own spit, which might be unclean to some, and even Jesus' spit has cleansing power. So whether it's the crumbs or the spit, if it comes from Jesus, it can do the job. See, this is something that you and I can forget when we believe in Jesus Christ and when we follow him. We can think that Jesus, yeah, he's forgiven our sins, but we think that that, that that forgiveness doesn't actually include cleansing us from the guilt of impurity. And there are lots of people who say they're Christians, who follow Jesus, and they will speak of the forgiveness of sins, but they live as if they have not been cleansed of the guilt of their impurity. Uh, maybe you've got impurity in your past. Most of us do. And you feel guilty maybe for it every day. But maybe you're ashamed to be honest with Jesus about it. You, you need to remember that like this man, Jesus touches all of our uncleanness. He touches all of it. And he makes it clean. He makes it whole. He makes it healed. And look what happened. Verse 34. Looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were open, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. So, so Jesus, in this instance, prays silently. He looks up to his heavenly Father, he sets his mind on things above, and he sighs with compassion, and then he commands his creation to change. Creation, you're not the way I want it right now, I'm going to change it. So he says, be opened. He said it in this local language of Aramaic. It's so personal, and yet it's cosmic in scope and power. It's amazing. Now, we've got amazing doctors. We've got amazing healthcare people in this church. But what doctor can say, be opened, and a deaf person can hear? It doesn't happen. What, what scientist can say, be opened, and a mute person can instantly speak plainly. See, you and me, we, we read this stuff, and we have a natural skepticism of what Jesus did. You're not going to admit that publicly. You're not going to tell anybody, probably, unless you're one of those people. Um, you're not going to admit it, but we all think it. Because you and I are so thoroughly brainwashed by a materialistic worldview. That is, a worldview that only sees the stuff as all that it ex exists and denies anything that you can't see. We'll only admit what we can see with our own eyes. We say we believe in the supernatural, but we secretly doubt it, like all of the secular materialists that are around us. See, the problem is, it's actually the Christians aren't believing all that Jesus did and taught. That's, that's the big issue. 
No wonder we're embarrassed by Jesus. We don't think that he did what he said he did. And I'm speaking, I'm speaking to you, but I'm also speaking to me if we're professing Christians right now. Because you and I fail to believe that Jesus simply spoke to the deaf and mute man and that man was instantly fully functional in hearing and speech. We just don't believe that too well. So it's a case of, Lord, we believe, help our unbelief. And it's a good indication of your view of Jesus is to see how clearly you do believe that. And then you apply it in your own life. Do I believe that God is able to change things in my life with the same power? Now Jesus kept up this clandestine mission to the Gentile areas. He said to the people, verse 36, Jesus charged them to tell no one. It's really interesting. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. People couldn't stop. They couldn't stop talking about it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. If you believe this, do you still have the overwhelming desire to proclaim it to everyone in this town? Like, are you bursting to say, this is the Jesus whom you believe in? Or is it like, well, yeah, he's good, but he's just my useful thing that I do. I go on Sunday and I feel better for a little bit and I go home. And Is that all it is? Then you're playing church. You're playing games. These people couldn't be stopped. They had to tell others because it was so amazing. And they said, he has done all things well. You couldn't stop the good news from spreading. It's like the good news, like the news of a new creation. And that's what it was. It's an, it's an echo in verse 37. He has done all things well. Jesus was recreating life when he did it. And it was good, just like Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, and the creation account. Jesus was creating new life for that guy who was deaf and could not speak. And these Gentile folks might have unwittingly fulfilled a promise given to Israel that the deaf would hear and the mute would speak. In Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6, listen to this, Isaiah 35. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. And you know where this was going to happen? In Isaiah 35, literally in those regions that Jesus was ministering to, it was predicted, the glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord and the majesty of our God. In other words, Jesus is God and He came to them and fulfilled the prophecy. That's the point of Mark 7. Jesus is the Lord God. And He's extended the boundaries of His covenant mercies to the undeserving, to the unclean, yet to those who trust in Him alone. I close by just two 
applications. As we consider the high security that exists in Christ for those who are in versus those who are not, it's a unique, safe, secure place full of blessings and privileges. But just to be clear, nobody deserves to be within the boundaries of God's blessing. Nobody. You don't. I don't. Nobody does. We all deserve God's judgment because we're all sinners before Him. Even the Jews with their privilege had to recognize that in Jesus, the boundaries had changed. Although they had been given special privileges for a season, the boundaries changed when Jesus came. The Apostle Paul calls this the mystery of Christ. The mystery of Christ. He says in Ephesians 3, if you've got a Bible, just turn there real quick. We're almost done. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 6. You can follow along, just listen. Ephesians 3, 6. It's very important. This, this unlocks what's going on in Mark 7. Paul said that this mystery in Ephesians 3, verse 6, this mystery is that the Gentiles, you could have put the scumbags, the evil people, the unclean ones, the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Not all Gentiles, just like not all Jews, but only those that are in Christ through the gospel. But Gentiles are inheritors of these new boundaries. It's the most epic inclusion of them all. Now, Jews and Gentiles can be heirs of the promises to Israel. The promises fulfilled in the Messiah. The promises fulfilled through the gospel. So if you believe in Jesus Christ, you have been secured into these promises, this grand story of Israel, into this great lineage, into this cosmic destiny. My wife and I were in France. If you're already sick of me talking about France, as you've been talking to me, it's, sorry, can't stop talking about it. had such a great time. We were walking along the cobblestone streets in the city of Arles in southern France, and we're walking toward the gladiatorial Colosseum that the Romans had built 2,000 years ago. We're kind of wandering along, and my wife said to me, isn't it amazing that we're walking on the same steps of people who walked at the time of Christ or at the time of the Apostle Paul? And, and when you're walking there, you just feel like you're part of a larger story. You're, you're connecting the past with the present. And that's what Jesus has done in the gospel. Ephesians 3.13 But now in Christ, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Or as Paul says in Galatians, it is those who are faith who are the children of Abraham. Paul's words sum up the message of Mark 7. A Canaanite woman an unclean, disabled man. They're outsiders on all accounts. They're far off, but they're brought near by the blood of Christ. And how could this happen? As Paul said, 
in Ephesians 2.14, he himself, that is Jesus himself, is our peace, who has made us both one and has, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3.28. So what does this mean for you and for me? Two things. First, you really need to get clear about what God is like and how God views you. How does God view you? Do you know that? How does God view you? If you see the Son of God rightly, you will be more than happy with the crumbs. The crumbs will be awesome because they are Jesus' crumbs. You'll be content. You won't be anxious. You will be happy. Even in sorrows, you'll have joy. To be included in Jesus' circle is the most secure, safe, and blessed place to be. So take up the Canaanite woman's faith. Trust Jesus like the guys bringing their deaf buddy to him. Look to Jesus to include you by his undeserved generosity to you. That's you personally. And then second, you really need to be clear about boundaries and inclusion. You have to see that nobody, nobody deserves to be included in God's heaven. Nobody deserves the privileges. Nobody deserves to be saved. Nobody on a remote island. Nobody at Stampede Park. Nobody. But see then the generosity of Jesus to include the unclean and the unthinkable. He includes them, not because he has to. There is no forced diversity and equity and inclusion in the kingdom of God. There is none. Instead, there is pure grace. Pure generosity toward the undeserving. And when the undeserving see the generosity of Jesus... Many come with humility and gratitude and they ask merely for the crumbs of the kingdom. They take the spit of Jesus. They'll take whatever he gives. Whether crumbs or spit, to be included in Jesus' little blessings is to have life eternal and full of grace. So that's the question as you leave. If you're a visitor, if you've been here a long time, do you have that? And if not, why not? And if so, Have you thanked God for the goodness of the crumbs and the spit that put you in and not out? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, grant us gratitude and humility to accept the abundance, the riches, the overwhelming store of blessings you put upon us. Help us not to be arrogant and proud. Forgive us of our sins. And show us Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The question that you can ask each other is, am I in or am I out? And if you aren't sure, you need to talk to somebody today to know whether you belong to God or not. And if you don't, don't despair. There's hope. Because as we are told in 1 John, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us 
from all unrighteousness. If you need to talk to somebody about where you stand before God, come talk to me, talk to DJ or Jared, one of the elders, or talk to the person in your pew with you. But don't leave here without knowing whether you've been included in Christ's own boundaries. God bless you all. Go in peace. You're dismissed.